Well, welcome to another edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and so glad that you are here today. This hour, we're going to take a look at, uh, gosh, maybe we should be using the Pretenders song. And I realize the band is called Pretenders, like the band The Eagles is called Eagles. And you know, we had the, the, but there was a song that was recorded. Remember Pretenders came out, Chrissy Hine uh, from Akron, Ohio, kind of a tough American journalist, actually went to England, decided that she wanted to uh, uh, move to uh, the UK and pursue a career in music, met up with a couple of other musicians, Martin Chambers, drummer, uh, Pete Farnden, bassist, James Honeyman, Scott, guitarist. I, I realize you didn't tune into the Bottom Line show to hear the history of the pretenders. But the reason I wanted to share this story is it kind of sets up nicely what this hour is going to be with regard to the number of people who are facing challenges right now with um, city governments, local government, and doing something about what's happening. Either there is too much government, or in some cases, cities are literally just disappearing because the government is taking the wrong types of action. The, uh, the Pretenders song uh, that I'm referring to is one that became very, very popular when the late Rush Limbaugh was hosting his, tel his radio program and eventually television program as well. And you remember it, you hear that bass line, dum, 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 dum. and it was, that was the version of the band Pretenders from 1983, where actually two of the original members had died of overdoses and they were using studio players to play. But basically it was Chrissy Hine coming back to the States. They toured a lot. The Pretenders had released a couple of records. She had, uh, conceived a child I want she was with Ray Davies of the Kinks and then she was with Jim Kerr of uh, uh, Simple Minds and um, she got pregnant and the record label still wanted a, an album and so they released an album that had a song on it called Back on the Chain Gang which is a big hit on MTV and then um, but there was another song that was on there called My City Was Gone and it was a reference to her having grown up in Akron Ohio and she went back and she she sings in her own kind of deadpan, kind of drawly type of way. I went back to Ohio, but my city was gone. There was no train station. There was no downtown. And she's talking about basically how the, the, the rust belt, as it's described in the United States, literally led to, you know, she's talking about all my favorite places, all my childhood memories. They're all gone, you know, and, um, and, and the shopping malls had sh sprung up everywhere. But the, the rustic charm of Akron, Ohio, for her, was completely gone. And then she ends it. I mean, the, there's no real chorus in the song, but then she sings as they finish each verse, Hey, ho, way to go, Ohio. Right? Or, hey, ho, way to go. Well, the thing that makes the song work for me is the way they put it together. There's a little bit of guitaring in it. There's a little... There's the rhythm. But the whole thing's about the bass and the drums. And the song seems to be... An, an homage to a song, but there's not really a song there. I mean, there's this tone. By then, uh, Pete Farndon, the original bass player, died of a drug overdose, and Tony Butler, who played in one of my favorite uh, rock bands of all time, Big Country, Scottish outfit that came out around the same time, was hired as a session player to play that dun 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 dun, dun. And that bass part is just phenomenal because it, it, you've got Martin Chambers on the drums, got a lot of echo and flange on it. But they're trying to de depict musically the what, what it's like to be in a town that just kind of starts to disintegrate and is no longer there. And it, it's interesting because you have to ask the question, okay, well, what is it that make the town makes a town an actual city. You know, I mean, we have to deal with this in pastoral ministry all the time. When is a church no longer a church? At what point is there a critical mass of people where your congregation is no longer a congregation? Uh, the last church I served in had two campuses. There was the main campus and the satellite campus. And the main campus had started out predominantly in a retirement community back in the 1960s. They incorporated in 65. I think they finished their first building in 67. And they had built literally a sanctuary that had a side room off to the left, which was the administrative office, and a side room off to the right, which was the social hall. I mean, that's, it was very, very uh, economical. And then they were able to build an actual admin building, and then they eventually built a preschool, and, and they went ahead and uh, uh, you know, kind of built the whole thing out. 
and then the church grew. They had 150 members from a retirement community across the street, and then um, then it grew and grew, and they brought in a new younger pastor, and he'd build up the preschool, and next thing you know, they had 800 members, then 1,000 members, then 1,200 members. They bought a piece of property in a neighboring city and started a satellite campus, and then that first initial wave outgrew the church, moved on, and the church started settling back in to 800 members, 600 members, 5, 4, 300, over two campuses. And we used to have that argument all the time, was what do we do with the satellite campus? There was a JK through 8 school that was meeting there, junior kindergarten through 8th grade, and the school was packed. They had no trouble there. But as far as Sunday morning worship and midweek programs, you had 10, 15 people coming. And so they have to ask the question, at what point is a city so far gone or a church so far gone or an organization so far gone that you can't really help? Well, if you take a look at the homeless crisis that's going on in the United States right now, it's very, very difficult to gauge for a couple of reasons. First of all, who counts homeless people? I mean, there are those census data people who will collect that information and there are folks I've, I've known, many people, bottom line listeners, friends, family, who have participated in those census deals where you agree to take a certain area where there's a large homeless population. You hang out all night for a couple of two, three, four nights in a row, and you try to talk to people who are experiencing homeless, which is the proper term that people are using these days, and ask them, you know, how they got there. You know, what's your story? Are you single? Are you married? Do you have money? Do you not? I, I can still remember, I tell this story often, uh, growing up in Orange County in the Santa Ana area, um, we were in the, technically it was Santa Ana because that was the largest city in the county at that point. I think Anaheim and Santa Ana used to go back and forth. And we lived in an unincorporated area, so technically we all had Santa Ana mailing addresses, but there was a big difference between living in Santa Ana and what eventually became like North Tustin, Peacock Hill, and Santa Ana that was Santa Ana by the courthouse, by Santa Ana High School, by Santa Ana Valley, you know, that type of stuff. There were a whole different component there, socioeconomic and otherwise. And so if you go to an area where there is a large homeless population, you know, you're going to find people of different backgrounds, different ethnicities. And one of the biggest areas of homelessness right now in the country is in Los Angeles. Downtown LA has a horrible problem with homelessness in the sense that they don't really know how bad the problem is Everything that Governor Newsom has tried to do to make it better keeps making it worse. And now new Mayor Karen Bass, basically, I mean, that's what she campaigned on. Everyone who was running for mayor of Los Angeles back in 2022 had to answer the question, what are you going to do with the homeless problem? Now, there's a big challenge, of course, in dealing with homelessness for a couple reasons on the West Coast. And I mean, you can see what the obvious problem is. The obvious problem is not that there are so many people who are homeless just because, I mean, sure, look at the look at the typical reasons why people experience homelessness in the United States. Um, many people will look to the fact that, uh, you know, it's uh, 68% of U.S. cities report that addiction is the largest cause of homelessness. Now, that's according to a statistic from the National Coalition for the Homeless. It said the most common stereotype of the chronically homeless is that they are either addicted to alcohol or addicted to drugs. When they're on the street, if you give them money, all they're really going to do is buy alcohol or drugs, and we need treatment programs. That That's basically what a lot of people will, will, will say is the cause. Other people will say it's mental illness. 6% of the American population suffers from a serious mental illness. And I'm not just talking about I'm having a bad day. I need to do self-care and wellness. I'm talking about people who are uh, dealing with schizophrenia, uh, they're paranoid, you know, that, that type of thing. But if you look at the fact that in the general population, it's 6% of the uh, American population suffers from mental illness. But then according to the National Coalition for the Homeless, by the time you hit the streets, that number goes to 20%, in some cases, 25%. And trust me, I mean, I, I have never experienced homelessness. I've been blessed and fortunate enough to always be in the area of where either there's gainful employment, affordable housing, or just people you can live with. You know, I mean, I, trust me, I went through a divorce back about uh, separation about 14 years ago. Divorce was finalized about 11 years ago. And I remember initially thinking, where am I going to live? I mean, I'm grateful I had a sister close by. I just said, hey, can I crash with you for a little while? I don't know where to go because obviously I'm not welcome at my home. 
My parents lived in San Diego and they didn't want me hanging around and I needed to keep working and doing my thing. So I'm like, hey, I got to find a place to live. And at that moment, I was working freelance almost exclusively, had income, but it was tough. And a lot of people deal with that. If you're in between jobs, if you're in you know, school, uh, a very dear friend of mine was the one who first introduced me to the term uh, sofa surfing. Her family experienced homeless. They were, I mean, and this is a family that had a pretty prominent role in a major church here in South Orange County. Uh, but when she was growing up, they had issues with steady employment, uh, did a lot of things in the arts, and, and it was not always easy to have a paycheck. And she said, my senior year in high school, I just moved in with my friend, my best friend in high school, and slept on the couch at her place. And that's just the way it is. Now, if you lose your job or if you're underemployed, I mean, we look at the unemployment rate here in the U.S. and say, well, yeah, the unemployment rate is what it is. But, you know, if it's going down, that doesn't necessarily mean people are getting jobs with wages they can sustain. And then, of course, there is PTSD. On any given night in the U.S., there are 200,000 military veterans sleeping on the street. Well, you have to wonder what it is that leads people to this situation. Either they're forced into it or they choose it. Um, L.A. Mayor Karen Bass recently signed an updated emergency declaration uh, that declares a state of emergency on homelessness. And in doing so, you think, well, hopefully that's going to come up with a solution. Uh, basically, she said it's no secret LA's facing an emergency when it comes to homelessness. This is an issue of life and death. Basically, this now gives her additional powers to expedite the process of building more housing, calling for emergency service for city employees, and coordinating citywide planning to respond to the homeless crisis. In other words, she's going to ask for more money, probably get it, and then LA will squander it. And the only reason I say LA will squander it, quite frankly, is that's what they've done in the past. Every time L.A. throws millions of dollars at the homeless issue, the homeless population increases. As a matter of fact, over the past couple of years, actually since Gavin Newsom's been in office, homelessness in California has gone up 10%. Now, one of the obvious reasons is, well, there's twofold. First of all, there are benefits. And secondly, the weather's better. I mean, let's face it. If you don't have a place to sleep, sleeping in California is a lot more appealing than sleeping in, say, some eastern state where it's cold and rainy and whatever. Obviously not this time of year. But homelessness for some people, I mean, in all honesty, it, it really is more than just that issue. Homelessness becomes an issue of hopelessness. Homelessness, and, and they kind of feed off each other. Many people wind up on the street because, quite frankly, they just can't handle it at home anymore. Years ago, there was a legend of a guy who used to push a shopping cart up and down 17th Street in Santa Ana. And the rumor was he was actually a multimillionaire and he just lost his mind trying to manage his money. Wanted people to stop asking him for help. So he just became homeless. You know, it's interesting. We might look at homelessness and say, well, that's kind of an escape valve for a lot of people. But at least I'm not doing that. But are you finding other escape valves in your life? That's a, a real question. A pastor and author, Rush Witt, challenges that in a brand new book called I Want to Escape, Reaching for Hope When Life is Too Much. There are so many different pressures in life. There are challenges. There are regrets that lead us to not necessarily hit the streets and say, forget it, I don't want to live anymore around here, but maybe it leads us to a phone addiction or a porn addiction or a work addiction or a leisure addiction. Why are so many people saying, I want to get out of here? And what can we as Christians do to help them or us want to stay the course in our walk of faith? Rush is going to join me to talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Few of us would argue that there are lots of attractive distractions in the culture right now. And some of us do them, you know, get involved in them because they're fun. Some of them are somewhat, you know, edifying, but others are, you know, they're kind of finding the way of the world to be a bit more challenging than they can handle. And so it seems like escapism is becoming a more serious issue. Uh, joining me today here on the Bottom Line Show to talk about this is Dr. Rush Witt, uh, 
who is the lead pastor of Paramount Church in Bexley, Ohio. He's also a certified biblical counselor. He's the author of the book, uh, Die Hard Sins, and he is also the author of a brand new book that looks at this topic from a biblical and practical perspective. The book is called, I Want to Escape, Reaching for Hope When Life is Too Much. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Rush Witt, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you so much. You're seeing a lot of people either from pastoral counseling standpoint in your congregation or, you know, in biblical counseling that you do who are coming to you and they're saying, Pastor Rush, I got a problem. And then the solution seems to be something that ordinarily we would try escapism. What what is the percentage? I mean, how how is how has that increased maybe in the past five to 10 years? Well, that's a great question. You know, I really think that um, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, and so we all uh, are always dealing with the same things, but it sure does seem like in the last few years, you know, I think maybe the, a lot of the pressures that we have begun to experience just uh, more plainly have really provoked more of what is, I think, resting in the heart of every person, which is that kind of desire when hard things happen just to run away because we, mm-hmm. we so quickly feel like we can't handle it, or maybe, you know, we feel like God is not nearby and, and helping us, so we lose sight of that. And so I really find that in my, in my life and the lives of people in my church and my friends, that this is a common thread for every person, is this, this voice down in our hearts that just says, I have got to get out of here, I've got to escape this. And we so quickly lose hope. And so that is one of the reasons why this topic was important to me. And I thought it would be helpful to me and to lots of other people if we just had a short book that could help us walk through a little of what the Bible says about this feeling that Mm -hmm. so many of us feel. You know, it's amazing when you talk about the feeling part of it. I wonder how many of us, if we really took a, a time out just to take a look at maybe our hobbies or the things that we do to kind of distract us from the, the challenges of life, mm. and we find that all of a sudden, wow, I really am putting a lot more time into my hobby or a lot more time into these relationships where we go on adventures or whatever it is, yeah, or even just, you know, how much time do I spend staring at my phone playing a video game, you know, just to try to take my mind off of mm. things. If Christians, sure. if we're really honest with ourselves, I don't think we're a whole lot different than the world when it comes to how we occupy our time in that way. At what point, are there some signs that we should be looking for in terms of, I guess, what you'd call escapism, that where it's kind of moved beyond, uh, okay, this is a healthy thing for the men's ministry to do versus, hey, this is kind of becoming an obsession that you're running away from your real responsibilities and the challenges of life. Yeah. Talk about that. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think it really does sit at the heart of this issue. And it's actually, I think, kind of a difficult question to answer because it can be so different for different people in the way that we handle our free time. And just as you mentioned, you know, God has given us lots of good gifts, and He intends for us to enjoy them. And so uh, what might be for one person a certain amount of time on social media may be perfectly fine. For another person, it can translate into a way of, of escaping or, or neglecting responsibilities that God has given to us. So I think it's a difficult question that often comes back for me to the idea of purpose, of mm-hmm. why am I giving my attention or time if we're talking about, let's say, some kind of distraction as a way of escaping. Uh, you know, what how much time am I giving to this, and what is the purpose of that time? Am I, am I doing it because I'm enjoying it, you know, to the glory of God, or am I pouring my time into this because in the back of my mind, I know there's this hard thing that I need to address or work on or bring to God, and I'm just going to put that off a little bit longer and kind of soak in this, well, whatever it is, hobby or social media or, or adventure And when that purpose kicks in, I think we have a different kind of thing going on in our hearts than just the the enjoyment of entertainment, which is a good Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. It really is. I'm talking with uh, Pastor Rush Witz today here on The Bottom Line. He's the author of a brand new book uh, that is dealing with the issue of escapism. It's called I Want to Escape, 
Reaching for Hope When Life is Too Much. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I did that talking about purpose uh, reminded me of a sermon I heard one time from a pastor friend of mine who was talking about the issue of recreation. And he said, you know, when you look at the word recreation, some people just use it as kind of a, boy, I'd rather be, you know, uh, doing this, anything than working or, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing. But he said, mm-hmm. well, if, if the goal is to recreate and let God recreate, you know, heal up the parts of you that have been hurt or wounded or depleted and give you a chance to to kind of be thrive the way he he wants you to then you have to look at yeah. that from a god perspective instead and brush you said something a moment ago i want you to circle back around to if you will whatever i think of people who are in the escapism mode i'm thinking okay my job's too tough the relationships are starting to pile up and i don't want to have to confront those people but you talked about things that we're using these distractions to kind of keep from going to god with some of the issues that we're dealing with now talk talk about why that's where it really becomes dangerous i could get you know the the husband who says man i don't want to have that conversation with my wife about whatever but when it, it's starting to get Absolutely. in the way of our relationship with god then that's really problematic absolutely i mean i think that you know uh any person who is familiar with the way the bible talks about life and, and god's place in our lives uh can't can see, <clears throat> excuse me, can see that, that really the Christian life is to be lived with a unique kind of God-centeredness. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the, the fancy terms that sometimes is put on it is living quorum Deo, ever before right. the face of God. And I think that what you're getting at in that question is really important because it highlights just what tends to happen in my heart when things start to feel overwhelming. And the two of the big things that happen for me, and this book talks about it and, and unpacks these two and even turns them into a kind of solution, is first, I become independent of God. I sometimes forget that He is near. I forget how much He loves me. I forget how, how good He is and how happy He is to control and orchestrate my life. And suddenly I've become very independent from him. I feel like I need to control my life. I need to fix things. Uh, I'm the only one who is really working. And when that happens, I tend to do a second thing, which is lose my courage. Mm -hmm. I become very discouraged and I I don't feel like I can make it through this difficult season or moment or experience. And, and yet, what I really need is that clear reminder that my, my life needs to become courageously dependent on God because he is our hope. He's the one we should be looking to. And so, yes, escapism can be a bad uh, thing. It can be a, you know, a real challenge for us in the horizontal relationships of our lives. But even more, just as you said a second ago, I like what you said, it can be dangerous to live in this mode of escape vertically when I am sort of walking away from God with the feeling that I'm all alone when I'm not. Hmm. Well, those are powerful words of exhortation from pastor and author Rush Witt today here on The Bottom Line. His brand new book, it's one of these mini books from uh, New Growth Press. So uh, if you're listening to our dialogue and saying, that's great, but I don't know if I have time to read hundreds of pages. I mean, this is a very practical, efficient resource called I Want to Escape, Reaching for Hope When Life is Too Much. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have avoided and (laughs) tried to escape a rather difficult subject with regard to escapism uh, for long enough. And I didn't want to ask uh, Pastor Rush the question with 30 seconds left in the break. So we're going to take a break a little early here and then come back and talk about why so many people are having thoughts of saying, gosh, this is so much to handle. It's a lot. And I don't know if I have what it takes to withstand it, even to the point of asking that question. um, Maybe this isn't for me. Maybe life isn't for me anymore. We'll talk about why so many people are feeling that way and how we in the body of Christ can uh, learn to find hope when we want to escape. Uh, More with pastor and author Rush Witt in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You've been in an accident and the worst thing you can do is to wait to contact Stephanie at Cover Law. Stephanie frequently talks to people who waited too long to seek help with their cases or tried to handle them on their own. And by then, it's too late. 
Family and friends mean well, but they can give truly bad advice. Often even trusted advisors will try and convince you to wait for more compensation. Stephanie knows the insurance companies want you to wait. They don't want you to file police reports, and they don't want you to reach out to Stephanie at Cover Law. That's because Stephanie is keenly aware of the tactics they use and why. She spent 20 years litigating for insurance companies and knows the strategy they will use to minimize their liability and your awarded amount. Insurance companies are for profit. They don't share Stephanie's Christian values, and typically they won't be fair to you. Don't deny yourself the ability to get better. Go with a proven expert in the field of personal injury and contact Cover Law at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R today. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Rush Witt is my guest, and we're talking about why is it that uh, there are so many hard times people are dealing with, all sorts of pressures and challenges, etc., that more and more Christians are saying, I want to escape. I want to lose myself in a novel or a video game or porn addiction or sometimes even winding up homelessness. Uh, He addresses this issue in his brand new book called I Want to Escape, Reaching for Hope When Life is Too Much. And the good news about this book is that we actually have two copies of it to give away. Would love to place one in your hands right away. Uh, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line, whether this is a book for you or someone you know who's dealing with this kind of pressure. I highly recommend it. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, more with Dr. Rush Witt in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Rush Witt is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Dr. Rush Witt with a doctorate in ministry, also his master's in divinity, currently serves as lead pastor of Paramount Church in Bexley, Ohio. He's also a certified biblical counselor, and we're talking about his brand new book called I Want to Escape, which we have linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. Rush, which came first? Was it counseling that led to full-time ministry? Was it ministry that said, wow, I really need to have some counseling background and training too. How, how did God lead you on the path that, that's got you where you are right now? Well, it really sort of came together for me because uh, I gained my introduction to biblical counseling through my pursuit of uh, pastoral ministry or education in seminary. Mm-hmm. And so I really, I went to seminary very, knowing very little about anything and when I got there, it was a whole world of learning and growth for me. And one of the big pieces that was uh, given to me for, for ministry was a commitment to biblical counseling. And mm. so really they came together and they've continued to grow together over time. And uh, I've seen just how important it is as a pastor to be growing as a counselor and uh, to be able to counsel other people and to be able to counsel myself because... Uh, pastors are not immune to these problems, and we need to be able to to give ourselves and to give each other as fellow pastors hope and help. And so that's kind of how I came to uh, to ministry and counseling. We have seen during the uh, what's happening in the culture right now. We've seen over the past few years, maybe the past four or five, an increase in the number of young people who are taking drugs, who are experimenting with you know different mm. painkillers, the fentanyl uh, phenomenon. And then even to the point where more and more people are thinking about suicide and we have veterans with PTSD and it's just, it seems like it's everywhere. Um, I know that's not mm-hmm. anecdotal rush wit, but I'm sure that the body of Christ has been rocked just as hard uh, by these, uh, these challenges as others. And there may be even some Christians, some, some people, men and women of really strong faith who are listening to this conversation right now and saying, hey, if I'm going to be honest here, I'm glad no one could see me because if, if Russia asked everyone, you know, have you ever thought about you know, what if you weren't here anymore, you know, maybe ending your life, yeah. we would, we probably have a lot of people, if they were being honest, who would raise their hand and say, yeah, I, I've thought about that. Rush, talk about why this escape valve, I mean, for Christians, obviously it's it's not really necessary because of the hope we have in Christ, but it seems to get more, maybe that voice gets a little louder the older we get. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting, that's an interesting thought because as a Christian, I thought for a lot of a long time in my earlier years as a Christian, I thought, you know, when I get a little older, maybe when I get to middle age and I get some more Christian years under my belt, that my spiritual growth will be so strong, and uh, my you know sp- my spiritual maturity will become so strong that these things that trouble me won't trouble me anymore. 
And mm. so I will be over them. But as I've gotten, you know, older into just now, you know, sort of middle age, I'm finding the opposite. I'm finding that I'm struggling maybe even even more as I become more mature. Maybe that's because I'm becoming more aware of my own need uh, for God's grace, or I become more aware of the remaining sin in my heart. But I find that even as I'm getting older, that these things are not going away, but they're just sort of coming in new ways. And, mm. and what I really think is important is that we can be honest about that, because I think if, if that idea that being a more mature, older Christian eliminates my need for God's grace or reduces it, but the reality is that I still am struggling, then I might fall into this trap of not wanting to admit to it because I mm. feel like maybe I'm the only one. But what I'm finding is I talk to people about escapism and about the pressures of life building and all of the troubles that you mentioned a moment ago. I'm finding that everybody struggles with this and everybody struggles with a desire to escape. And I think the best thing we could do is to be humble and to be honest about it, because then we not only can receive help, but we can find wonderful opportunities to help people around us because they're going through the same thing, whether they're young or whether they're, they're aging. Mm. Well, that's great counsel from Rush Witt today here on The Bottom Line. His brand new book is called I Want to Escape, Reaching for Hope When Life is Too Much. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I love the fact, Rush, that you delineate between, you know, the, the idea of, hey, a little recreation every now and again is no harm done. Actually, it's probably really good soul care, you know, to engage in that. Mm. The question is, are sure. we using escapism? You know, are we using distractions to, to keep us from God, even to the point where they are they're dangerous and, and possibly even deadly? Uh, let's take uh, some time here as we wind things down a little bit to talk about how to identify the, the problems, maybe even some of the triggers that make us want to escape, and then some solutions, things that we can do. I mean, obviously, we can pray. We can talk to people, you know, pastors, counselors, things of that nature. But for someone who's saying, gosh, these are happening more frequently, these thoughts, and I find myself spending more time escaping. Uh, I'm recognizing now that that's problematic. It's not just a healthy release. What are some good ways to not only identify the problem, but maybe take some uh, steps towards solutions? Yeah, well, there's a lot more to, to read or to be said about this in the book, but to give kind of an overview uh, of what I think is the best way to think about this problem, because there are so many triggers, there are so many ways that we experience this pull to escape that pulls us away from God and, and keeps us from really handling life with his help, that what I think we can do is, is try to get some categories in mind in our lives of what is the actual thing that I'm doing when escape is taking control. One, I think, big one for all of us is a kind of denial of the trouble or maybe the temptation that I'm facing, a kind of ignoring it, uh, pretending that it doesn't exist. I live in Ohio, and we have, a, you know, like in lots of places, a, a strong opioid epidemic raging, mm. and there have been some commercials on TV trying to combat and raise awareness about that. And one is really, uh, really uh, insightful because it pictures in the commercial a place called Denial, Ohio, and it's like mm. a city. And everyone in that city thinks that the opioid epidemic will never touch them. It would never impact their children or their families because everything is just right in denial. And mm. I thought, thought that was such a helpful picture of what my heart is often thinking when I'm in denial mode. Just if I can imagine this problem doesn't exist, maybe it'll go away. Or as we've already talked, you know, another category could be distracting ourselves with uh, so many, the so many options that we have. Uh, beyond that, there can be ways that we start to even take an active kind of lashing out approach of deflecting or even trying to destroy who we think is providing that pressure. Maybe we have conflict with somebody else and the anxieties in our hearts boil over and we kind of burn other people with it. And then, of course, the ultimate and final escape, which is a tragic, tragic, tragically common today, is, of course, uh, seeking, you know, death through suicide, escape through suicide. 
And so I think if we can think about our lives in categories and recognize where do I tend to escape, what do I tend to do, then I can get a little better picture of when it's something that I'm facing. Do you find that in your life? Do you find there are some categories like that for when you feel like escaping? Yeah. I mean, I think we all do. I mean, and that's one of the things, yeah. one of the healthiest things that has been a, uh, you know, a, a benefit to me, not only in pastoral ministry, but just mm-hmm. also when working with other people that you kind of have informal relationships with is the idea of, you know, asking the questions like, why am I drawn to this activity? Why am I, why are these thoughts mm-hmm. coming yeah. up? You know, I, I do that a lot with dreams, Rush. I don't know how it is for you, but I can tell when I've had too much sugar before bedtime. I mean, because I have the strangest mm. dreams, yeah. like yeah. Well, the last five thoughts I had during the day. Well, they all show up in the same room, you know, and uh, it, it's it's kind of bizarre, but it took me a while to figure out, hey, I mean, that's that's something I can control. I don't have to do that. If, I, if I'm if i looking for an escape yeah, right. valve, you know, that let's not do it. And I think on a small scale, that kind of echoes what you're talking about in the book, I Want to Escape, is, is we have the discernment. I mean, we, it's not like we're being led around by these desires. These are things that we're using to right. try to find a solution. And, um, and, and, and the solution, of course, begins and ends with our relationship with the Lord. Rush Witt, my guest today here on the program, I Want to Escape, is the book Reaching for Hope When Life is Too Much. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. 60 seconds left in our conversation, Rush. What's the most important part of this book for somebody who says, okay, I don't have time to read the whole thing? And it's a small book, so it's not a challenging read in terms of length of time. But what, what's that one thing that you hope will uh, people will take away from what you've written here and be able to put into practice straight away? Well, I would love for readers when they read the book to be able to take away and apply to their lives what is a kind of three-part plan for dealing with escape. And it's easy to remember in these three words, pray, believe, act, that we need to pray with humility, with dependence on God is the one that we need, that we turn back to him in those moments when we're feeling overwhelmed. We then need to also believe with, with gospel hope. And what I mean by that is, for us to draw hope from the good news of what Jesus has done for us. He has abundant compassion for sinners like us who feel overwhelmed, and he is helpful and caring and compassionate. And then, of course, we need to act with that courageous dependence on him because of what he has done for us. All along with that reminder that one of my favorite verses that has been a huge encouragement to me when I went to escape is Psalm 1611. And it says, because of you, I know the paths of life in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And we can go to him and depend upon him to meet our needs and satisfy our hearts, which is ultimately what escape is all about. Amen and amen. You, you escape to the one who put it all together. And uh, not that we're trying to lose anything here, but we're really trying to gain uh, that deeper relationship yeah. and uh, have a renewal of hope. Pastor Rush Witt, thank you for writing this book. I Want to Escape is the title. Reaching for Hope When Life is Too Much. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Rush, thanks for your time today and uh, for a great conversation here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciated it. Gladly. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Well, what a great conversation. And yes, indeed, it is a real issue. What happens when people just want to disappear from their problems? And, you know, it's amazing. Someone who's homeless on the street, uh, you see that person and you realize how tough their situation got. But the person who has lost himself in his phone or lost herself in her shopping addiction or whatever, we don't see that all the time. And Dr. Rush Witt has given us a lot of food for thought in helping people who are feeling like they need this escape to uh, stay the course and uh, keep walking the walk of faith with the help of, um, you know, (laughs) looking at the reasons why we want to run. His new book is called I Want to Escape, Reaching for Hope When Life is Too Much. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and actually two copies of this book that we're giving away today, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, I want to talk about these classic signs of escapism. We'll all take a little self-test. And then we're going to take a look at a city that literally went through all of this and disappeared. Well, maybe not all of these. Maybe God had a hand in helping this city disappear. 
what maybe the reason why so many people in the culture right now are trying to kind of lose themselves from their responsibilities is they're in a place that they were never meant to be and god's helping you to see hey you're not supposed to be here because i created you to be here let's take a look at that on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues one of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show, and my thanks again to Dr. Rush Witt for joining me for a conversation about his very practical book called I Want to Escape, Reaching for Hope When Life is Too Much. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we have not one but two copies of this book that we're giving away today. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Okay, be honest. Have you found yourself recently getting buried in the things that you find pleasure in because you're trying to get away from something else? I I make no bones about it. During the pandemic, my wife and I, I, I'm not a video game player at all. Lisa is, loves them, so do her kids. Um, I watch my kids play them, and quite frankly, those 3D multi-universe things, they just make me dizzy. But she said, hey, why don't we try Scrabble? That'd be a fun game for us to play during the pandemic, have a little more time at home. And so we started playing it. I'm hooked. I'm absolutely hooked. She hasn't played me in a month. She got <laughs> she got tired of my obsession of playing. I just really like playing the game. It helps me think outside the box in terms of word formations, et cetera, et cetera. But there have been times when I've got a pretty full load of things to do on the docket for the schedule, and what do I do? An extra 15 minutes goes by because I'm playing Scramble. I mean, and Rush's book helped me to take a look at this and say, look, distraction is one of the classic forms of escapism. You know, I would much rather watch this documentary, watch this cooking show, read this book about design and whatever, than deal with the stuff I have to deal with. I'm in a self-destructive mode right now, and I'm not going to do anything to fix it. I need to exercise more, lose some weight or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I'm just going to deny that there's a problem. People tell me that I spent too much time working or I spent too much time doing this, and I just don't want to hear it. But then there is the the ultimate, where more and more people, especially during the pandemic, said, you know what, maybe I just shouldn't be here. Maybe this is too much for me. And when that happens, boy, I'll tell you, I mean, there's nothing... There's nothing worse than finding yourself literally at the end of that road and not seeing a cul-de-sac. See, I, I, I stress with people and having, there's a history of depression in my family, so trust me, we're, we're not immune to these types of thoughts. But look, God is not a God of dead ends. He's a God of cul-de-sacs. When a road gets to a dead end, I understand that if there's nowhere else to go, that it can seem like you just want to crash into the wall and this is it or you just kind of lay down, roll over, whatever. But the beautiful thing about a cul-de-sac is you can go down that street and it provides that natural barrier. But instead of just a wall with a sign that says, none shall pass at the end of it, there's homes or maybe there's a park, but there's a sidewalk, there's a curvature. There's a way that you can, if you're walking that way, you can keep walking and eventually get back on the main road. And if you find yourself with any of these classic escapism signs, I highly recommend not only you get a copy of this book, I Want to Escape, 
reaching for hope when life is too much, but also get some counseling and find somebody to talk to about it. Um, 800-227-5278. We're not going to diagnose here on the Bottom Line Show. We give away books and interview authors and <laughs> have conversation, things like that. But we do have two copies of Dr. Rush Witt's book, I Want to Escape, to give away Reaching for Hope When Life is Too Much. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Two copies of this book that we're giving away right now. And if you do need help, we will do our level best to help you find the help that you need. Okay, going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, I'm going to take a look at uh, the ultimate in escapism. How does a city disappear? Now, you may have uh, heard of towns that were once bustling metropolises, and then they just kind of, they became ghost towns. And people go and visit the ghost town, right? They can see, oh, here's where the bank was, here's where the store was, et cetera, et cetera. And typically, like there's that one out in, uh, it's out in Joshua Tree, I believe. Uh, you know, the, the famous Joshua Tree out 29 Ponds, Coachella Valley area, where it was used for mining back, I don't know how many years ago, 40, 50, 60 years ago. And they basically mined all the iron out of it and then left it, whoever owned it. And someone tried to build a luxury hotel there and um, it, it didn't really pan out. So now developers have purchased it and they're going to revitalize this town. Kind of cool. Sometimes that happens in a ghost town. Sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes the ghost town literally can disappear. And you have to ask the question, well, did it disappear because of man-made issues or did it disappear because God said there was never supposed to be a town there in the first place? We're going to take a look. We're heading into Central California in the next uh, segment here. And we're going to take a look at an area called Whiskey Flat and find out why it is no more. Literally. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account, Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Don't forget the National Crawford Roundtable podcast is coming up at the top of the hour for those who remain with us on the network. If you're listening on KCBC, you already heard the podcast. And you have Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next for y'all. And uh, our friends at KLDC get something totally different. How fun is that? Uh, we were talking about the homeless and how sometimes people who are in this, experiencing homelessness seemingly disappear from the radar because they're not counted. They don't have family checking in with them. Well, I, I understand it when it, it happens to people. But what about to an entire town? Uh, the town of Whiskey Flat was founded in the 1860s in the Sierra Nevada foothills. And it was founded as the gold rush was tapering off. By the way, Whiskey Flat's about 35 miles outside of Bakersfield. And the town was in operation. I mean, the gold rush was tapering off, but there was still gold to be mined. Uh, as a matter of fact, they mined that gold for another 80 years until World War II, right around 1940s. Basically, I mean, millions of dollars in gold had been mined out of there, and then it went away. But Whiskey Flat looked like something out of an old Western. As a matter of fact, during the 1940s, it was. Um, it was so perfect that TV shows came and filmed there. Uh, John Ford used it as a movie set. But by 1953... The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers came and said, look, we're so close to the Kern River here. 
we're going to go ahead and build a reservoir. That reservoir is commonly now known as Lake Isabella. And in doing the damming that created the Lake Isabella Reservoir, the remnants of Whiskey Flats were flooded. So that was kind of the end of the town, but you could still see it. Until you couldn't. 2006, Army Corps of Engineers found structural problems with the dam. They decided to limit how much water could flow into Lake Isabella. Um, Then, with all the drought that happened too, the reservoir was damaged. Uh, last year, you could see the foundations of Whiskey Flat emerging from the dry lake bed. Until you couldn't. Um, in February, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers announced that the safety fixes were in fact replaced and Lake Isabella would be allowed to fill again. And then, of course, with the rains that happened earlier in the year, uh, the lake has hit its 500,000 acre feet water for the first time in 20 years. Still a lot of water in the snowpack. Very conservative estimate for July and August is that the runoff will be another 350,000 acre feet and another 110,000 acre feet in July and August. So basically what that means is Whiskey Flat is completely disappearing. No more Whiskey Flat because the reservoir is filled up. Now, you ask the question, well, gosh, how does a town disappear? Well, the town only appeared because we built it there. It's not like God made the town. We made the town, the people. And then when the Army Corps of Engineers came and dammed up a certain area and uh, Lake Isabella was basically formed and created, it kind of killed off what was left of Whiskey Flat. But then that became the reservoir spillover. And now there's so much water that the reservoir spillover means that Whiskey Flat is completely submerged. So the town may reappear and may go away. But I, I thought metaphorically, this is kind of what we try to do with our pain, what we try to do with our isolation. When we want to get away from the hurt, we're just kind of hoping that a big old rain will come and kind of flood things up. And next thing you know, we won't even notice. We'll just kind of disappear. People won't pay attention to our pain. Here's the problem with that attitude. First and foremost, I mean, obviously there are people in your world who care about you, your family, your friends, maybe work colleagues, even if it's just one other person that you work with. Trust me, I know what it's like to work at a company for many years and then you wind up leaving either because you leave or you get left. And all those people you were so close with, all of a sudden you find out they really weren't that close. It was a work relationship. I get it. But remember that if God has called your name and God did call your name if you are his, you didn't come to him because you thought it was a great idea and then you petitioned and bargained and cajoled and, and, and pleaded to get into the kingdom of heaven. You are a child of God because he pursued you first. So the maker of the universe of heaven and earth wants you to be friends with his son. So you have the Trinity as your, and then you've got your Holy Spirit as your comforter. So if, regardless of how tough your situation is, always remember that. I know it's hard to feel that sometimes. And sometimes putting a phone in your hand and playing solitaire or Scrabble for four hours makes you feel like you got something going on and your problems disappear. But in the same way that Whiskey Flat now has seemingly disappeared from the map because of the increase in the reservoir, once the water levels go back down again, we'll still see there's a town there. God sees you. God knows you. God feels your pain. He's there for you. He cares enough about you to send his son to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. That is good news. And that's the bottom line. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon discovering the Jewish Jesus with Rabbi Schneider's coming up next. For those who remain on the network, it's this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Coming up next as the bottom line continues.